1: Where does incretin-based therapy fit in the treatment of type 2 diabetes? Joining us to discuss the benefits of incretin-based therapy is medical director of the International Diabetes Center, Park Nicolette Health Services in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Dr. Robert Cudahy. Dr. Cudahy, welcome to ReachMD.
0: Thank you. Very happy to be here.
1: Well, Bob, let's just jump into this very important topic. What have recent clinical trials indicated for this class of agents?
0: Well, you know, there's been just a a lot of clinical trials, both with the agents that are currently on the market as well as several in development, and I think uh, summarizing these many, many trials, Incretin agents have shown good efficacy uh, when added to some of the more traditional diabetes therapies or combination therapies, and they've also shown reasonable efficacy as monotherapy. Tell us...
1: In a little bit more detail, what are some of the therapeutic potentials?
0: Well, what I think makes this class of agents particularly interesting are some really truly unique properties. Uh, The incretin-based agents really act in a glucose-dependent nature, and that mechanism of action is unique among diabetes agents in that it really lowers the risk of hypoglycemia, particularly when used as monotherapy. Of course, they still can potentiate hypoglycemia when used with other agents with a propensity to do that. I think the other very unique thing about the incretin class of, of therapeutic agents is they're weight neutral uh, when talking about the DPP-4 inhibitors and may actually lead to weight reduction uh, when you talk about the GLP-1 receptor agonist.
1: I think glucagon is pretty important. And now that we have a, a therapeutic class that can actually treat the abnormalities in glucagon secretion, uh, let's talk about it a little bit and how that relates to clinical
0: practice. I think it's, it's actually uh, under recognize the the important role that glucagon plays in the pathogenesis of type 2 diabetes. Uh, We all know that we can use glucagon pens or glucagon syringes as emergency treatment for hypoglycemia because they tend to raise the plasma glucose. But remember, in the body, glucagon works in a similar way, increasing the glucose output from the liver. The trouble is, in patients with type 2 diabetes, they have an abnormally elevated level of of glucagon, particularly following meals, when most of us without diabetes would suppress our glucagon levels. Individuals with type 2 diabetes fail to suppress glucagon. And again, that's contributing to excess glucose entering the system from the liver and then contributing to the hyperglycemia. So these incretin-based agents work to suppress glucagon levels, particularly following the meals. And that, of course, is very beneficial at helping uh, to reduce that postprandial hyperglycemia we see.
1: Currently, the GLP-1 agonists are approved only to be used with patients on oral agents. And, of course, we have the DPP-4s like Genuvia and Angliza, which have different characteristics. How do you pick your patients in each one of these classes? But maybe first you should uh, give us some of the an overview of the differences between the GLP-1 agonists and these DPP-4 inhibitors?
0: So the DPP-4 inhibitors, I think, have been very popular, particularly in primary care, because they're relatively easy to prescribe and use. They tend to be oral agents that can be taken often just once a day with or without food, so it's very easy for patients to accept that. In general, the GLP-1 receptor agonists are injectable therapy, so some of those same barriers that physicians sometimes feel in pushing their patients on insulin may arise, and that is, of course, discussing injections, Uh, They tend to be somewhat more potent as a class compared to DPP-4 inhibitors, slightly greater, A1C-lowering efficacy. And while the DPP-4 inhibitors are very good in that they don't tend to cause weight gain, and remember, weight neutrality is a good thing in treating type 2 diabetes. In contrast, the GLP-1 receptor agonists in many folks can actually lead to some weight reduction, and that has made them very popular uh, among patients with type 2 diabetes particularly those that are already suffering the adverse effects of being overweight. So if they have obstructive sleep apnea, early degenerative joint disease, or are very concerned about their, their obesity, that may push them to favor the GLP-1 receptor agonist.
1: How do you decide which drug to use? and Give us some patient examples.
0: So it's, it's really having that frank discussion. I mean, I'm very upfront to make sure that they clearly understand one class, the DPP-4 inhibitors, are tablets whereas the Victoza or the Bieta are injectable. But that's I do see as a class, it depends on how much A1C lowering we're trying to achieve. The, the GLP-1 receptor agonists are a little more potent in that regard. And if the patient's really interested and eager for some weight reduction, these can be a very nice adjunct to aggressive lifestyle modification and efforts at weight reduction. Sometimes I, I see that as really reinforcing um, patients' own efforts at increased activity and dietary modification. Uh, I think as treating specialists, we've all seen the super responders. I've had patients personally lose you know, tremendous amounts of weight, sometimes 50 to 70 pounds. Now, of course, that's the exception, but everybody wants to strive to at least achieve some modest amount of weight reduction.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think when I sit down and think about you know, which patients would respond to each class. It's really how far are you away from your goal and how important is the weight.
0: weight. And and to be honest, the other issue that I have to raise is the cost issue because in general, the injectable GLP-1 receptor agonists tend to be more costly than the DPP-4 inhibitors. So depending on if the patient has to pay out of pocket, that can be a a significant determinant in which way they want to go.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Robert Cudahy. We are discussing the benefits of incretin-based therapy for type 2 diabetes. Well, Bob, let's talk a little bit about the future. What are the foreseen clinical use of these incretin-based therapies. I know that they're going to be expanding for sure.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I, I think we're going to see increased indications, and you already see some trending where uh, while we typically don't recommend this as initial therapy for, for many patients, uh, it, it can be used in monotherapy, um, and there are growing indications in that regard. I think the other where we're looking, particularly at the GLP-1 receptor agonist drugs like Victoza or Bieta, uh, on the specialist front, is we use them in combination with insulin. And that is certainly not on the labeled indication, but probably a future area of growth because we see some very good results in that regard.
1: What about prevention of diabetes? You, you talked about uh, using it as monotherapy. I mean, I, I think you're of the belief that I am that uh, early treatment is better than later treatment for this group.
0: Yes, uh, and I agree. And while you know, while I, I'd say I'm a big fan of this class in general, I think you have to temper that enthusiasm based on are you treating a known established disease, such as diabetes, with its known complications, Uh, it's a slightly different approach when you're actually talking about primary prevention, in other words, trying to treat people with prediabetes. The two things that I think take a little more importance are, one, we don't have long-term, you know, decades-long record of of safety. These are all relatively newer agents. And unlike uh, drugs, say, such as metformin, we don't have 30 to 50 years of clinical use know if there's any uh, long-term safety issue. Uh, and I think the cost then enters the picture when you're talking about using something as a primary prevention. So when discussing that, I think that's an area of, of future interest, and hopefully as more agents become available and, and use goes up, costs will come down. But I think the lack of long-term safety data and the relatively higher cost somewhat tempers my enthusiasm to quickly jump on board and use these as primary prevention.
1: Yeah, and I think... As as you mentioned, obviously the the clinical studies will have to be done. Well, we recently spoke with Ralph DeFronzo, you know, Mister Colorful Endocrinologist. Uh, he talked about his triple based onset therapy for beta cell preservation. Uh, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, so uh, again, Ralph would recommend metformin, a TZD, and an incretin based therapy very early on. And and while I agree with him, I, I'm a big fan of of the incretin and metformin therapy. I'm a little more reticent when talking about the, the TZD, the thiazolidinediones, and that's because more recently we've seen really some controversy arise about are there some off-target effects from this TZD class of agents, particularly affecting uh, bone. It, it appears that these agents may affect the derivation of cells in the bone marrow, which would normally differentiate into osteoblasts, cells that lay down new bone, instead shunting this over toward adipocyte, or fat cells. And so some of the data is now showing that the duration of exposure, as well as the degree of exposure or dosage, can increase uh, risk for untoward bone effects, uh, eventually leading to fractures. Um, This class also has a well-known and well-defined risk toward sodium retention and fluid retention, which can exacerbate congestive heart failure or macular edema or peripheral edema. So again, when we're talking about adding therapies very early on, potentially using them for years, my enthusiasm is very much tempered for the TZDs because of these off-target bone effects.
1: But I think we both would agree that starting treatment early and maybe one or two drugs that work in concert together might be a good thing, just depending on which ones you pick.
0: Yes, I'm a big fan of early and aggressive combination therapy. I think with the TZDs, we're now starting to evaluate, would low-dose TZDs carry that same risk? Yeah, Maybe perhaps the risk-benefit ratio would be improved if we use very low-dose TZDs.
1: Let's talk a little bit about uh, other disease-modifying effects of this class, the incretins. What about cardiovascular disease? We're seeing some uh, improvements in some of the surrogate markers of heart disease.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, one of the nice things is, particularly with some of the the GLP-1 receptor agonists, is in the clinical trials, we're seeing fairly commonly a slight reduction in systolic blood pressure. Uh, of course, with the weight reduction, you can see beneficial changes in other things, uh, adiponectin levels, C-reactive protein. And there are actually have been small, uh, both non-human and human studies that are suggesting that, for instance, exercise uh, tolerance may be increased in patients that have CHF that are treated with GOP-1, or that myocardial con- contractility is, is improved post-heart attack in patients or in, in models where uh, people are treated with GLP-1. So I think that's very interesting. Would we see added additional benefits outside the glucose with these agents?
1: Yes. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. I just want to get your quick opinion on using GLP-1 agonists uh, in the therapy for type 1 diabetes. I'm seeing some of that stuff pop up out there in the medical world, and uh, although obviously it's a, it's an off-label approach. But any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So uh, at, at this... This year's ADA, there were a couple of preliminary studies suggesting some benefit. I think it's very early on. One of the things you have to remember with type 1 and virtually no insulin uh, production capabilities around, you wouldn't expect to see an increased insulin level. And that is a big part of what uh, these agents do in patients with type 2 diabetes. Now, there may still be effects on glucagon or on gastric emptying or on satiety, so I think that's of interest, but very early on in the, in the discussion.
1: Yes, I agree, but interesting nonetheless. I'd like to thank our guest, Medical Director of the International Diabetes Center, Park Nicolette Health Services in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Dr. Robert Cudahy. Dr. Cudahy, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes
0: Discourse. You're very welcome, and thanks for having me, Steve. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash D-I-A. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. July 10th. My lecture tour is going well. While the days have not
1: been too tiring, I do worry for Marie and her diabetes. Dr. Heyerdahl mentioned that her blood sugar was above normal right before we left. I hope we can find some answers
0: while we are here. In 1922, Novo Nordisk's founder, Nobel Prize-winning scientist August Crowe, and his wife and fellow scientist Marie made a fateful visit to America to further their research and build relationships with doctors working on the
1: earliest treatments for diabetes. July 28th. We keep hearing of this new medication that replaces the insulin that people with diabetes no longer make on their own. People who treat their diabetes can live longer and healthier lives. This could be what we've
0: been searching for. Upon learning about the work being done at the University of Toronto, August and Marie headed north to make a connection that would change the face of diabetes treatment forever.
1: August 11th, Dr. Haydorn, as I believe you will be interested from both a theoretical and practical point of view... I have persuaded my husband to write to Dr. MacLeod in Toronto and ask to obtain its method of manufacture so
0: you can perform experiments with insulin in Denmark.
1: November the 1st. Success! We have replicated the process here in Kyrmhaun and will be administering the first batches of insulin to patients by week's end. This could be the moment when we finally get control over Marie's diabetes and help so many others. From our first patient to our
0: latest innovation, Novo Nordisk has been a world leader in diabetes care for nearly a century. Our patient-centric philosophy has led to many breakthroughs, including insulin analogs and easy-to-use delivery devices, and a global commitment to advancing research, education, and partnership. And our mission is the same today as it was back then, to defeat diabetes. Visit us at NovoNordisk-US.com.